is Bloomberg Surveillance. There is still the sense in the public and the investing community that central banks are working somewhat across purposes with one another. The Chinese are struggling with trying to keep full employment, and they're terrified about the social unrest that will occur if there is unemployment. From this point forward, all economics can tell you is that once the unemployment rate dips down below 5%, that wages should pick up. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, Bloomberg Surveillance in New York City. We welcome all of you across the nation. Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130 in a gorgeous New York, 960 the Bay Area in your early morning. We say good morning. Washington, 99.1 FM, Washington and Baltimore. Uh, good morning as well. Bloomberg Surveillance. Brought to you by Cone Resnick, accounting, tax, advisory, regulatory changes can impact your business. See how the experts at Cone Resnick can help you navigate these complexities. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. Um, looking quickly at a snowfall map for New York City, we need to go back to the fun. Michael McKee and I were doing surveillance. It was one of the early years, 1874, 13 and a half inches in April. Thirteen and a half inches in April. We now go to Rob Carolyn, uh, giving us non-hysterical weather coverage. Rob, are we going to get thirteen and a half inches Sunday and into Monday? I think we may end up with less than that, Tom. And we can go back a little less than uh, 1874, but 1997, we had a storm on April 1st that dumped uh, quite a bit of snow across the tri-state area. Uh, we've got several pieces with this storm. They all have to come together perfectly. I can tell you the yeah. models that have been coming in the last couple of hours are shifting the track further east. The further east this storm goes, guys, the less snow will get out of it. And since it's still over two days away, I think the target is kind of a moving number on how much we get. I don't think a question of if. I think we do see some wet snow here. It's just going to be how much ends up falling. The further that storm goes out to sea, the less we get. By goes out to sea, somebody gets pounded. Is it (laughs) Uh, Connecticut? No, it's uh, Argentia, Newfoundland. Uh, That's (laughs) if it goes out to sea. It ends up catching the eastern side of Newfoundland and not a problem for us. But right now, our best estimate is it gets into the tri-state area around sunrise Sunday morning, ends Monday morning, about three to six inches. Boston, it starts in the afternoon. It's four to eight inches by the time it ends Monday morning. And then for D.C., they just catch a little bit on the tail end, maybe a slushy inch on the grass late Saturday night into Sunday morning, one to three inches for Baltimore. Rob Carolyn, we'll continue to check in with you and uh, try to nail down how far east this goes and who actually uh, gets uh, the snow. Right. Ben Friedman might. I mean, he lives in uh, in Cambridge, I presume. Um, Harvard University professor, author of uh, and it, this is some, st- definitely something we want to talk to him about the, the the famous book Moral Consequences of Economic Growth, which is sort of the centerpiece of this year's political campaign, but also has a new paper out. Uh, about monetary policy and whether the financial crisis has changed the way we do monetary policy. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Professor Friedman. Let me uh, let me good ask morning. you. If you, got, you got your snow shovel out? I think we're going to need it. It's. Uh, I mean, everybody up there talking about the Red Sox, and all of a sudden you got to talk about snow again. We'd much rather talk about the Red Sox. Have That's you given up do. yet on the Red Sox? Tom has already consigned them to last place. <laughs> That's because you live in the wrong city. It's not your fault. And professor, <laughs> Professor, wonderful to speak to you again. It's been way too long. I'm working on a paperback beach read called The Moral Consequences of the Boston Red Sox. And <laughs> there he is. Let's take your, uh, let's, let's talk about central banks first because it's a, a very interesting new paper, especially to talk about in a week where just about every central bank in the world met. Uh, 
you suggest that uh, you know the response to the crisis where we ended up with large-scale asset uh, purchases, um, QE, as it were, uh, that did work and probably will be used again, but the idea of forward guidance, maybe not so much. That's right. My sense is that when they were stuck at the zero lower bound and couldn't do monetary policy in the normal way, central banks turned to a variety of new devices, most prominently two of them, quantitative easing and forward guidance, my judgment is that quantitative easing worked, and they should continue to do that, and moreover, do it both symmetrically, uh, both sides, sometimes buying bonds and sometimes selling them. And by contrast, I think quantitative, I think uh, forward guidance has been largely a failure, and they should get rid of that as soon as they can. And I think the Federal Reserve's action day before yesterday is a good sign. I think their attempts to do forward guidance day before yesterday were simply bollocksing up markets. Well, the dot plot, isn't that essentially forward guidance? And uh, it doesn't seem to to work. I think that's right. I think the problem for, for, for central banks trying to do forward guidance is that they can never provide as much information as markets want. That's because the markets are in different businesses than they are. The markets are in the business of trading on speculative assets for a profit. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what the markets are supposed to do. But that means that the markets are always going to be focusing on, call it the penumbra, the edges of whatever information set is provided. And the central banks are chasing a will-o'-the-wisp mm-hmm. and they think that by providing a little more information and expanding the area of uh, information they provide, they can then alleviate or ease market uncertainty because if they expand the information set they provide, then there's a new penumbra, a new boundary of where the uncertainty is around that. And if they keep going, they'll just create more and more problems for themselves. So I wish they would get out of the business of forward guidance simply do what they do and explain to the best of their ability why they just did what they did without speculating on their own future actions. Leave the markets to speculate. That's what they're good at. <laughs> now, uh, the, the most interesting part of, of this to me is um, your view of the permanent, what may be a permanent change in uh, the conceptual part of monetary policy, and that is um, that we always used to look at central bank liabilities, but now it's the asset side of the balance sheet that matters for uh, stimulating growth. Yes, I think that's just right. Uh, For many, many years, of course, everybody knew that the central bank had a balance sheet with both assets and liabilities, but the focus was on what they were doing with their liabilities, namely providing reserves to the banking system. And in the years that we've had since the crisis, the entire focus of attention has shifted to the other side of the balance sheet. It's been what they were buying in their asset portfolio. Now, of course, their balance sheet has to balance just like anybody else's. And so it is true that as they were adding assets, they were adding liabilities And some economists and other people continued to focus on the liabilities, and that led them into terrible, terrible mistakes. You may remember that for years after central banks started on quantitative easing, many economists were talking about huge inflations, even hyperinflations. People were 
following old-fashioned models and saying, look, the Federal Reserve is increasing the size of its balance sheet by a factor of five. That means that the price of everything you buy at the drugstore is going to multiply by five. Well, talk about classic economic mistakes. That's about the biggest mistake yeah. that anybody's made in my lifetime in my profession. Right. And, and, and our, the, the uh, reason, just to be clear, the reason is that those people were focusing on the liability side of the central bank's balance sheet, which really doesn't matter anymore, instead of thinking about the asset side. Yeah. In 2007, roughly, you did a panel at NBER with Alan Meltzer, Stephen Goldfeld, and importantly with Robert Gordon. All of our listeners, but particularly those wedded to economics, demand that we understand from Benjamin Friedman your interpretation of Robert Gordon's Future of America. His book is front and center now, as your book was a decade ago. Do you agree with the cautious optimism of America's future that we see from the professor from Northwestern? That's an interesting interpretation you just suggested. I think Bob's uh, outlook for the future economic growth of America is not optimistic uh, for your uh, listeners who haven't read the book, and I hope everybody will because it's a wonderful book. Uh, Bob reviews the history of the growth of the American economy since the Civil War. He says that the great era of American economic growth was from 1870 to 1970. We've been slowing down ever since then, and his assessment is that going forward from 2016, we're going to be slowing down even more. Do you agree? I don't know. I think the real issue is technology, and I'm, I'm always mindful that in the part of the country where I live, uh, 150 or so years ago, yeah. right, at the right at the beginning of the period Bob Gordon was writing about, people were talking, believe it or not, about running out of oil. And you know what that meant? That meant that the nice people down in Nantucket and New Bedford were going to run out of, oil, of whales to catch because it wasn't yeah. until 1869 that anybody understood you could pull petroleum out of the ground. Yeah. So we just we just don't know. And there, there are all of these uh, technological inventions that come along and new discoveries, and I don't have any better way of gauging well, the pace of them <clears throat> than anybody else. Bob, Bob is pessimistic. Yeah, I think I'm more of an optimist. Let's come back with Benjamin Friedman of Harvard University. Got to check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world of national headlines, Mike. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. North Korea fired a medium-range ballistic missile into the sea. The test violated multiple U.N. Security Council resolutions that banned North Korea from engaging in any ballistic and nuclear activities. The launch came as North Korea condemned ongoing annual South Korean U.S. military drills. Bernie Sanders says he still believes there is a way to win the Democratic presidential nomination, despite Hillary Clinton's lead of more than 300 committed delegates. He's predicting the upcoming races in several western states, including Arizona and Washington, will offer him a chance to catch up. Russia is urging the U.S. to prod Syria's main opposition group to show a willingness to compromise a peace talks with President Assad's regime. Russia this week announced a surprise pullout of most of its forces from Syria. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Mike Labar. Mike, Tom. And Michael, thank you so much. On the future of America, coming up, Benjamin Friedman of Harvard University on America's dearth of productivity. 
This is Bloomberg Surveillance. This news update brought to you by the New York Community Trust, where donors like you help them make New York better.